Welcome to a new year and a new season of Heart of the Bookkeeper. My name is Rob Marshall and this podcast is brought to you again this year by the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers. Bookkeepers helping bookkeepers helping business. And talking about seasons, that is very much the thread of today's episode with our wonderful first guest for 2024, a lady by the name of Elizabeth Haverfield of Lime Results Consulting. Elizabeth has had to work through multiple seasons across her 25 years plus of being in bookkeeping. And it is those lessons learned and the way that those lessons have evolved that makes this a very special and very interesting episode, I believe. So buckle up for a new season of Heart of the Bookkeeper as we hear from the highly experienced and much respected bookkeeper here in Australia, Elizabeth Haverfield. Well, here we are. It's 2024. A new year has started and I am absolutely stoked to have our first guest for the new year. She's an extremely experienced bookkeeper. She's got lots to share with us. Elizabeth Haverfield, welcome to Heart of the Bookkeeper. You're very kind, Rob. Thank you so much for that introduction. Very kind. Happy New Year, everybody. I like that. We are uh, hopeful of a good new year. 2024 has dawned and we're, many of us uh, had some challenges in 23 and we're going to pick up on challenges and you've had plenty across your career and uh, I love the way you've unpacked it to me in the lead up to this particular uh, episode of the podcast that you kind of almost put your bookkeeping journey into to four parts. I'm going to start off the new year with something a little bit different for this year for Heart of the Bookkeeper. Um, Elizabeth is looking at me with a strange look. I haven't preempted her on this one. Here we what go. What we're going to do is uh, <laughs> what we're going to do is we're we're going to introduce a, a a little segment, and it comes off the back of an employee that I used to have many years ago in my practice when I had quite quite a significant bookkeeping practice. And I would run some sessions from time to time with my staff and pose some questions around bookkeeping and accounting principles to them. And this particular employee would say to me regularly, give me the really curly questions, Rob. I don't want the easy ones. I want the curly ones. I love it when I go to a client and they give me the really curly questions. So we're going to introduce the curly question into Heart of the Bookkeeper this year. Excellent. Let's go. I'm going to kick off with Elizabeth Haverfield telling us uh, or answering hopefully the first curly question of uh, this year. It is a new year, as you've called out, and uh, with that comes, you know, some people still go down the route of New Year's resolutions and all that sort of stuff. I'm not going to call that out, but we live in a world where, you know, hopefully people have aspirations of what they'd like to achieve in their future. What's an aspiration that you would love to be able to do in 2024? Now, there's no rules on this one. It could be anything. It could be, you know, going skiing for the first time or riding a donkey or something. I don't know. But uh, have you thought that through? Is there something in 2024 that Elizabeth Haverfield would love to achieve? I have thought of less is more. Less is more? Yes. Sometimes it's about less clients and more achievements, more systematic approaches, more efficiency, 
um, making sure that of the software packages that I predominantly use, am I doing as much as I possibly can with those clients? So less clients and more output or more success or more outcome is what I'm really trying to achieve in, in 2024. Excellent. Very good. Uh, that, that's probably a little bit deeper than I was actually expecting. I was sort of thinking, you know, maybe throwing yourself out of a plane for skydiving or, uh, you know, doing uh, something like... I have like, done... Know. I have been in a 1938 um, plane where we did 360s <laughs> oh, and we go. also um, went straight down to the ground and my family that was standing over at Point Nepean could hear me screaming, I don't know how many thousand feet in the sky as I was projecting down to the ground. So I, I, I do do things like that, but no, just the very calm 2024, less clients, more output I'm looking for. Love it. Absolutely love it. Just quietly mine is to eat something I've never eaten before. So mine's nowhere near as deep as yours. I've, you know, oh. I've had an experience a couple of years ago where uh, at an ICB event, uh, for, for various reasons, the rest of the team left me in a city, it was Brisbane, uh, for a couple of days by myself. And I went and tried Morton Bay Bugs for the oh, first yeah. time in my life. And oh, um, goodness, oh my how God. good were they? Uh, so mine for 2024, my aspiration is to eat something I've never eaten before. You know, it might be, I don't know, you know, some barbecued moose or something. I don't know what... <laughs> I don't know Do you why know I jackfruit? I've never had jackfruit before. I need to go up to Darwin and see the service mate team. I think is my you know business excuse. Right. And try jackfruit up there. Jackfruit. All right. Okay. I haven't had jackfruit that I'm aware of, so I'll do that. And that might be a little bit better than barbecued moose. I don't know why I <laughs> said that. That was M-O-O-S-E, by the way, not the yes. chocolate variety. But uh, <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's move on from the curly question and let's start talking all things Elizabeth Haverfield. Um, so first first up, um, we'll, we'll dig a little bit into your amazing journey. And uh, like I say, we've got a lot to unpack today and a lot of stuff that I think our listeners um, or those tuning in today will really find interesting. But the name of your business interests me, Lime Results. So Lime, you, Lime Results, business software consultancy and Baz agent. Tell me about Lime Results. Well, in 2015, we sold a previous business called OfficeLink Learning. And after selling OfficeLink Learning, Wayne and myself decided to go back into business again. And we were very uncertain about what journey we would go through together because we have two sides to the business. We have the Bass Agent side and then we have the SEO and website side. So we decided to have an unusual name and we like limes. Limes are tangy, they're zesty, they're, um, you know, a well-liked fruit. So we just went with lime and instead of lime projects or lime consulting, we decided that everybody needs results. So we added the two words together and came up with lime results. Love it. Absolutely love it. Here I was again going a bit too deep. I think I was thinking, you know, that maybe LIME was an acronym for something no. or whatever, but here it was. It was just all about a humble fruit. That It uh, is all about a humble fruit and a great colour. We love the colour of LIMEs. 
there you go. So let's wind back a bit. Um, one of the things that I'm really interested to unpack in this episode is the way that you've positioned your journey in in the bookkeeping and software consultancy, BAS agent world, and that is you really look back now and see it's sort of come across in four parts, you might say. And uh, the reason why I'm interested in that is I think so many bookkeepers that I talk to and certainly tune into this podcast or deal with us at the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers, you can sense that they're in a season, you know, they're in a part of their journey that perhaps they can't see that there's going to be another phase. But, you know, my experience and clearly yours is, is, is there is, you know, we do go through these phases. So we'll, we'll get into that a lot more deeper shortly. But I do note that um, one of the things that uh, I like to unpack is uh, where you call home and Melbourne is home for you these days. It and is. And you, you definitely refer to that. Um, has that always been the case or has there uh, been a journey to get to Melbourne? No, I have travelled a, a relatively a lot around the world as an individual, but work-wise and living-wise, I've lived in Brisbane twice. I've lived in, well, I started in Wollongong, was born and grew up in Wollongong and educated there and started working there and went to Sydney. And I have lived in Brisbane twice. I've lived in Canberra twice. Uh, I lived in Sydney a couple of times and strangely ended up in Melbourne because whilst living in Sydney, I used to travel a different state every day being a software consultant. So I would be on six flights a week, flying around the country as a minimum, doing training and software installations and strangely met my husband in a nightclub in Perth while I lived oh, in Sydney and he go. came from Melbourne. Wow. I do note on your, you did give me a bit of a list of all your uh, your places of abode, you might say, over over your trip through life to date. The Greek islands is listed in there. So tell us about oh, the yes. Greek islands. I, I had to sit through, wow, I, uh, my wife sort of twisted my arm, but I sat through Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again the other <laughs> night and that was clearly in the Greek islands. So that's about as much as I know about the Greek islands. Oh, no, I was young and single and wild and having a great time and going from island to island and spent months there. So I think about five months. And uh, it was, it is such a beautiful part of the world and has beautiful food, beautiful people, easy to travel around, time, time doesn't really have any time, it's Greek time, that's, that's <laughs> what it is. Um, so no, I loved being over there and would without a doubt go and live there again anytime. So were you working there? Was that part not of really. your working journey? No? no not really. No. No, I, you couldn't call it work, that was for living sure. Living the dream. Yeah, living the dream. Whereas in London, I did work in London, uh, as well as travel around Europe and the UK. One of the good old Aussie backpackers where you'd head off with a one-way ticket. And uh, I did some temping, had some really great jobs over there, worked right at Piccadilly Circus in the heart of London and enjoyed everything that London's got to offer. So to that point, um, one of the focuses that we've identified this year for our goals and aspirations for ICB, for the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers, is to, you know, put a, put a not a greater lens, that's the wrong word, but a, a significant lens on our student 
market and this, those that are emerging into our space, into bookkeeping and um, the Baz agent space. Would you encourage a young, you know, if you if you were starting out now and you were single and footloose and fancy free, would you encourage exploring what the world has to offer before you maybe bed yourself down too deeply? Oh, a hundred percent. And and I can say, just flipping that slightly in reverse, uh, last year I had a German intern working with me with one of my major clients. So she was here for six months as an internship. And she came and worked in the office and did, you know, the accounts payable side. She did some of the payroll side, um, looking after Tanda, working in zero. She did all sorts of things. And, and it was a great part for her to learn about putting the English language into practice because in her course in Germany and just in life, she spoke English, but it wasn't actually put into practice. So flipping that back to your question, I think Australians definitely, or Kiwis going over to the UK, it would be ideal to get a temp job or, or get a, a, a small contract job working over there and seeing difference in taxes, difference mm. in processes, yeah. you know, the, the different types of software into place would be invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a really, really good call and um, certainly would encourage that as well. I know for me, you know, it probably came a little bit later, but, you know, probably halfway through my journey to date, I got the opportunity to go and spend some time in Papua New Guinea and I got to understand their, you know, tax system and their bookkeeping system over there. And I know when I came back to Australia, that, that kind of opened my eyes to a number of things that maybe I was a bit insular with up until yes. that point. So I think I think that's a really, really good call. So if the opportunity comes to go to the Greek islands, um, you know, maybe take that up or London, you know, if you need to get inspired, well, go and watch reruns of Mamma Mia, here we go again perhaps. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> one of the things that I know and I'd love for you to tell us about um, is the influence of your mum and dad in your life and, and where you've ended up and in particular... I know you've called out your dad as being instrumental in a lot of your thinking, and he, he's, I, have, I never met your dad, but he's clearly—he was clearly somebody who had a lot of uh, entrepreneur in him and ingenuity, if that's the word. Tell us a little bit about mum and dad, but uh, also dad's inroads into the business world of Australia. I think a lot to do with my parents was that they grew up from the Depression and they grew up through World War II. Yep. So they missed out on lots of things or they didn't have things. That there just wasn't the opportunity that we have today. And there certainly wasn't the entitlement uh, that we do have today. So mum and dad had a business. Dad basically had a dream and mum said, that's fine, go and do your dream, but you have to come home with X amount of dollars each week so I can feed the family. And that, mm -hmm. was, that was their first rule together in business. So he, he was a leader in the Illawarra community in Wollongong. He um, started one of the first communication businesses with two-way radios being the first down around the area. And pages, he set up the very first paging business for doctors to actually become mobile doctors and not have to use each household's home phone to get their next visit um, and address. So... That was pretty exciting. And he also invented and created some other firsts in the mining industry in the Illawarra area that was then sold overseas. But I think fundamentally from dad, 
he very much taught me that life is an adventure. Go and get it. Go and seek it. Make some mistakes. Do some good things and try it. Whereas if you sit in the safe zone, safe zone in his view could be second best instead of being the best that you could be as an individual of going and taking life on as an adventure. I love that. And um, for those who've listened in, and I know you know a little bit about my background that's so similar to mine. Um, my dad was an inventor. He invented a super spreader that's still used yeah. well, Australia-wide these days um, by farmers. And he was very much of the same spirit and obviously from a similar era uh, of, he used to say to me, I, I he was amazed when people would put limitations on what they thought they could do because he felt he could do anything. And I must admit that probably the apple didn't drop too far from the tree. Um, yeah. when it, so I, I can absolutely resonate with that. Uh, obviously, right now there are challenges for people that, well, I won't call them out as being similar to the depression because none of us can ever associate with what happened with the depression unless you were there. But there's things happening right now that are really challenging people to understand what they need to try and do and how they need to try and do it. And it's a, it's a new challenge. And I take my hat off to a lot of the younger generation now who are doing, are almost repeating that cycle and going, look, there's opportunity and, and I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try and, you know, do some things that perhaps you know, three or four years ago, I didn't think I can do. So I love your dad's spirit and I love your dad's approach to that. And I think some of that is starting to come through more and more with a new generation of, let's call them entrepreneurs or uh, those who are willing to to try something. And I think also about communi- like communication being the type of business that he had, you know, we had, um, we had mobile communications right from get-go. If we needed an extra litre of milk, we just got on the two-way radio <laughs> and you would call dad and, uh, and we'd get another <laughs> litre of milk, you know, dropped <laughs> off at home. And relating that back to today, I think it's also the younger people today have got Google, they've got the internet, they've got social media, they've got so many things at their fingertips that they can research and investigate a lot quicker and faster than what we could do in our generation or in our parents' generation. You know, I, I can always remember going to the post office with my dad at 7.30 in the morning and we would go and empty the PO box and get all the mail and we would always separate the mail into two uh, files. There was the pile with checks and then there was the pile of the, all the other stuff. You know, and dad was always excited to open up all the checks and we'd count up how much money he'd actually received in for the day. And he'd say, well, that's good. We've made some money today. Now we can go and deal with all the other bits and pieces that have got to happen. Oh, yes, I do remember that as well. Um, Mum and dad sitting at the kitchen table and that's where I learned a lot about bookkeeping, to be honest with you, just in those sort of moments. Uh, opening the mail was a big event, a huge oh, event. Yes. Um, oh, back, yes. Back in the day, as we keep saying, I'm going to stay in the day because I reckon there's a few listening in right now, Elizabeth, who are are going, what's a pager? Do you want to explain just quickly the concept of a pager? (laughs) So a pager was a small device that would be about um, half, half the size of a phone and it had a clip and it would usually be attached to your belt. So everybody had to wear belt. And it would buzz 
So once the office needed to get in contact with, say, Rob, it would buzz the number of Rob and it would go buzz, buzz, buzz and Rob would go to the nearest phone and he would call the office and say, what can I do? How can I help you? And he'd get his instructions from that. So it was purely a buzz or a single uh, a signal that would come to you, um, but really infamous in making organisations mobile, as was the two-way radio. Yeah. You know, traps had the ability mm. to uh, call in and get their next job. Um, mm-hmm. Very much like today, we have our inbox. Our inbox mm. is the way that we call in to our customers, send them messages, get our next jobs, get our next bits of paper. So it was very much of the 40s, 50s and 60s. And back then, it was that was a huge move forward from pre-war, which basically didn't barely even have a telephone that you could communicate. So the 20th century, obviously, a, a century that brought about innovation like history had never seen before. And there's some huge. great examples that your dad was involved in. So Bill and Betty, um, Bill and Betty no longer with us, I'm guessing. No, or, no they have gone, yeah. They've moved on, but uh, huge call out to Bill and Betty if they were with us. Um, amazing people and uh, clearly had some major influence in your life. When do you look back now and say, what, what was the point you'd travelled around the Greek islands and London and done a bit of temping and stuff like that? What? what what was the moment that you now look at and go, I think that was probably the point that I started to think about what you currently do and have done for a long time now? Do you have a point in time? I think it's really after... I, I worked in lots of different temp positions, like truly hundreds of temp positions around the country and overseas. And I remember in one of my first jobs in about 1983 when the Wang word processor... Uh, from IBM was brought in and I worked in it also. And gone was the carbon paper of typing up any letters or documents and we'd moved into the Wang word processing. So if we wind forward, say about maybe 10 years into my 30s, mid, mid sort of maybe 10, 15 years into my 30s, I'd investigated and used and worked in lots of different applications. And I then started to get really involved into teaching and educating people. And it was, you know, from the old train the trainer course of being able to then sort of put some notes together and write some instructional guides and have some trainer documents so that you were consistently running the same courses all the time. And I really felt that a lot of that sort of temping work and working in a variety of different industries, and I moved into lots of classrooms and had started to design training materials for different software companies and different individual businesses that I really felt all of that was coming together. I think what you're calling out is that so many who go back a little bit further, let's go back, say, 20 years, that educational piece was more probably prevalent than what a lot of people understand now. The, you know, I, I had a very similar journey. I, I would sometimes be running classes to um, business owners, teaching them software two or three times a day. You know, mm. it was crazy, mm. absolutely oh. crazy in my world. My whole week was training and, and delivering material to different businesses and different individuals. And I really think there was a, a pinnacle point in that we actually moved very quickly from DOS into Windows, whether it yes. was an accounting product or it was an office product. We yep. moved from DOS into Windows and that threw out opportunity to all sorts of different businesses with different 
monetary values on what they could afford and the changes when it came to computers and how they became affordable. And I think also a big part of the bookkeeping area is the GST being brought into the system. And that created, um, there was a few government funding programs to go and get some training as well. And every small business owner really had to get their head around GST and what the implications were to their business and to their workers and to their equipment. I asked you earlier um, who obviously your dad was so influential in in so many of the aspects of your life that you've been living and mum as well. You've mentioned a name to me, Maureen Seller. Tell me about Maureen Seller and why she was so influential for you. So I, again, I went off traveling as a single girl to Brisbane and I landed at the Brisbane Convention Centre the very week that it opened and got a job as a food and beverage attendant and wandered around for a couple of days, met as many people as I could and I met Maureen and she was in a pay office on her own and she had to pay 1,200 people and she had two pieces of software, MicroPay and she had this time and attendance product called Kronos that she had no idea. And I said, oh, I can do that. I'll, I'll, I'll be able to work that all out. And she said, oh, have you used it before? I said, no, but don't worry about it. We'll sort it all out. We'll, we'll get it all happening. And, and I found a little opportunity, an adventure. So I moved from Canberra to Brisbane, got a new apartment and said, right, I can do this. And was more than happy to work 16 hours a day implementing these products, learning about payroll. Wow. And Maureen was just like a Britannia of information to do with HR and payroll. And I couldn't believe the errors that we'd make, but Maureen would say, oh, that's okay, we'll, we'll fix it. We can work it all out. And she'd show <laughs> you all the sums and calculations and how to research the ATO and the legislation. And I think it was one of those big changes in my mental state that I thought, hey, I really like this payroll HR side more than I like the accounting side of things. But they go hand in hand, Rob, don't they? Well, they do. And I was just going to say, I don't know if Maureen's listening in or if she's even around anymore, but uh, I would uh, beg her to say that Maureen, you were uh, possibly one of the first to find the term HR intermediary because pretty much... uh, That's That's exactly what she was. Yeah, 100%. You know, I I didn't know all the technical stuff, but I came from the training and the implementation and the software side of things. And when you could put them together, I really realised the power that we needed to share out within the community. And it was after that that I um, then got involved with some RTOs and we started talking more about GST coming in, And then the TASA was going to come in a couple of years later. So it really was fundamentally all the things that Maureen taught me from a payroll HR side and how they interacted with accounting that I didn't quite realise. They were just sort of gurgling away in the back of my mind. And once I actually came into that RTO world and training constantly every day that I realised we needed to share as much knowledge as we possibly could. I love that story because I think, you know, if we were to capture lessons from your journey and uh, we'll get to a few challenges in a moment that perhaps weren't uh, quite as positive, but 
if we were to capture one straight up, and that is even right now, if you're listening in and you're fairly new to the the bookkeeping space and you're, you know, trying to find your way through payroll and HR, team up with someone else if you need to or go and seek out somebody who can give you some assistance, some direction like Maureen did all those years ago for you, Elizabeth, because there's gold in that and like you said... 100%. Yeah, like mentoring said, programs think, um, are fundamental, Rob. And, and yep. I think you know, I know the ICB is looking forward uh, yep. into that direction. And I personally, I really don't know how many people I have mentored over the years. I'm yep. not talking business owners. I'm talking about bookkeeping people, and it really does make a significant confidence difference if you've got someone to say, "I need to just talk this through." Or could you check my numbers? Or what do you understand that word in the award is meaning? How hmm. would you interpret? Great call. Great call. In an irony, we uh, have been discussing that over the last few days at uh, ICB, the importance of that. And uh, I think that that is just uh, re-emphasising something that maybe in 2024 will become a, a little bit more important than uh, previous, hopefully, you, you know, um, Rob, I think the other side of it is that as BAS agents and bookkeepers, we really are mentors to our business owners that we go yeah. in each week yeah. and we talk about their zero numbers, whether it's online or it's in person. You're really doing a lot of mentoring to them. You know, maybe it's slapping them on the knuckles saying you're spending too much or have you been chasing your debtors or we could get some better numbers crunched and, and look at what your wins are and where you can improve. But really, we've been mentors to all these small businesses for so many years. I think it's also about that RTO learning journey of not forgetting the students and not forgetting the newer people to our industry and actually helping them go forward. Yeah, great. Great calls. Great calls there. Let's just move forward a little bit. So um, that was sort of, um, by my figuring, sort of the mid-90s when you were floating around in Brisbane and that was the start. That was the trigger of, of where you started to go to next. What what unfolded after that? You mentioned the GST and we've talked about that a lot on this particular podcast about how that kick-started so many of the businesses that of those who were around, including myself. Um, As you got into the 2000s, did did you find a period of growth? Did you start to expand and look at expanding your own business? Look, without a doubt. And I think it was significant because of all the conversations starting around regulating the bookkeeping industry. And this is where so many small businesses had employed bookkeepers for such a long time. Let's just use a number, say 50 years. In the past, they'd had a lot of employed bookkeepers. But now, because of the regulations that were coming into play, we were formalizing what the BAS agents needed to do with TASA. And I think that's where a lot of contract bookkeeping came in and a lot of small business, uh, bookkeeping small businesses were actually um, formulated and really formalized out in industry. And I think the software companies started to recognize that, you know, in particular, MYOB did. Zero wasn't around in those days, but MYOB was very strong in helping those uh, bookkeeping businesses and was also working very hard with ICB and other of the industry associations too. Department of Education were, you know, very 
much in the conversation as were the ATO. You mentioned also the another pivotal point for many of us and, and certainly most probably listening in will remember the 2010s kicking in and that that um, introduction of the TASA and a complete change of regime and thinking around the approach to bookkeeping from the perspective of those who chose to go down the line of becoming a, a BAS agent. Were you still sort of thinking training at that point was still important for your business model or was it just straight into BAS agency work and away you went? Oh, no. Training has always been the fundamental share knowledge, share experience, share processes, share how to implement uh, software products. That That's fundamentally where it's always been. So OfficeLink Learning started from a contract that I won in Melbourne and I was training in different states in Australia for a business qualification. And I wrote the material and would then go around and, and teach other trainers how to train it as well as myself. And so from that, I could see the big need in the accounting and bookkeeping side that we needed to really get cracking with some formalized materials. And that's how OfficeLink Learning really became about. And that business grew. I did do consulting, but I had to reduce it because we had a team of 13 and we used to run the publishing business based on school terms because I was a big believer in hiring predominantly mums. And I found there were lots of mums that had left the workforce and wanted to come back and work, but they needed that flexibility of the family. And they had so many skills. They had more skills to offer than potentially what the particular job that they were doing for me. And so it was a win-win. What, um, what, expand on that a bit more. Why do you think it was a win-win? I think it was a win-win because concentration-wise, we would set projects. We'd say, let's write a book, and it might be a book about doing accounts payable. And we might say, okay, this book's going to take a month, then we'll do another one, which is going to be accounts receivable. So we'd work out how long it would actually take to write the book, test the book. And I would usually employ between three and six individuals to do the testing to see that the numbers added up and the steps were the way that they needed to be. And some of them used MYOB and some of them didn't. So we found working on school terms was a win-win that my business could also have targets to work for. But we also got a little bit of a slack time in the business where we could refocus on planning and then maybe doing some selling as well as giving the staff a bit of the opportunity to go and do family time. Yeah, okay. So I'm just going to circle back to where we started and, and part of the intro that I made about your journey. You kind of, the way you've explained it to me and what we've we've looked at so far is that that sort of that 1980s, 90s, into the 2000s was the first sort of half of your journey. Then um, by the late 2000s with the TASA and everything that you've just explained, do you feel as though that that created a new phase for you to enter into and and, and a different way of impacting? It did. Was, was it kind of like, you know, it was a little bit insular what you were doing initially and then all of a sudden you found yourself on a bigger stage? Is that a, a good did. way to put it? Because yeah. the reality is if, if we think of being a bookkeeper that has different industries and we need to do a bank reconciliation, maybe the process is the same using the same piece of software for a variety of different 
um, businesses in a variety of different industries, but every business has its own speed humps, yeah. has its own learning that it needs to be taught and practiced and achieved in order to get the bank statement correct. And I think when I look at OfficeLink Learning, it was very much about all the temping of being in lots of different industries and working in different roles in different countries and in different places created that platform that the book could be put together for a variety of different individuals that were going to then become bookkeepers in different businesses, in different right. industries. Right. And that's, that's where I really found I had a window, an adventure to take and made that commitment for, we had, I think we had it for about 15 or 16 years, Office Link Learning um, happened. And it produced a lot of training material for a lot of RTOs and a lot of people um, and small businesses as well. So if we, we position that as a season, it was another part of the season of the, the journey for Elizabeth Haverfield. And, and I'm going to suggest that if you're listening in right now and you're starting out in bookkeeping, well, that, that is a season. And, but as has been explained by Elizabeth, things will come along that will perhaps change that in a different direction or not so much in a different direction, but certainly into a direction that isn't necessarily what you started out to do. And one of those things that happens from time to time is, is government decisions and government legislation, you could say. And I know in 2014-15, some government decisions had a real impact on that season or that model that you're in. Do you want to expand on that a little bit more? Sure. So we, we when I say we, I mean the industry, including ICB and all the bookkeepers, we were all peddling very far, very fast and very hard to gain our qualifications, to become compliant, to teach people as much as we could and be able to um, action compliance as much as possible. And around this time, the government took a billion dollars out of the RTO sector with funding and with education funding. And it meant that whole campuses of RTOs closed. And it meant that businesses like OfficeLink Learning and other publishers around the country, but also many trainers were affected by this. They were offloaded and there wasn't work anymore. And the government decided to do this because they needed to put some money into somewhere else in industry. It was really critical and it was really detrimental to all of the individuals, I feel, that were trying to enter the bookkeeping and the accounting industry. And of course, it was to all of the RTOs and the TAFEs and all the trainers that were out there. They were having to close whole campuses. For my business, it was really important that I actually slim the business down. And they made the decision at the beginning of April and by the end of April... I had terminated eight out of the 13 people that were working. We had to reduce the business by getting out of the office we were in, renovating the home garage, building an office in that garage for four people to come in. And unfortunately, at the same time, dad was having palliative care and he passed away during this time. And it really would come down as the most difficult time for me because responsibility as a business owner was being divided 
emotionally, I think more than anything, but my responsibility was being divided. And I had no control over the government decision. So you just have to do the terrible job of uh, telling people, I'm sorry, you can't come here tomorrow. There's no work for you. It's tough. It is tough. And uh, like I said, I mean, it's, it's, it is part of the seasons that we, we go through. Um, it, it happens in, in most businesses, in small business, in larger business. There's decisions that are out of our control sometimes or decisions that are made that we don't necessarily have a lot of input into um, without sort of getting too deep because it is a little bit polarising at the moment. But right now, there's many who are struggling with some government decisions around the well, the ATO's implementation of client agent linking, which is creating some some serious angst, and I'm not sure that the, um, the the regulators have quite wrapped their head around how impactful that is for many businesses, many bookkeepers in particular right now. And it does. It seriously brings around challenge that has to be looked at and addressed, and that's what you've clear, you clearly had to do. And I'm, I'm guessing there was some, not some, you know, it's not pleasant to have to tell somebody, sorry, you're not working anymore for us. It's not pleasant at all, but you have to look at the numbers. You have to clearly identify what can you achieve and what can't you achieve. And you have to look at it very clinically and make the best decisions for everybody. But again, I think it's about being as open as you can um, about those decisions. And another sort of, I think another little tangent, Rob, is about years prior to this, I'd help ICB create the ICB network meetings Mm, that we had. I wanted to ask you about that, yes. And I think that is one of the most incredible tools that we have as members of an organisation because it was a place that I could go as one of the people that was um, a facilitator, but I could also post questions out to the group and get some confidence and get reassurance and get some answers as well. It is a two-way street, those network meetings, you know? And I think, again, this is where mentors are so powerful. And those meetings, in a way, form as a, a mentor, just like what I also did at that difficult time, I had one or two other people that I would go and talk to and say, these are the hard decisions I need to make. Do you think I'm being clear? Do you think there's clarity around them? These are the numbers. You know, go to your accountant. Talk to your good friends about the emotional part about the questions. That's what's really important as well, rather than holding it all in and holding that stress and becoming very unwell. So you you entered... I guess we'll call it your fourth phase, your fourth season. Um, beyond that, uh, having to to trim down the business and and uh, yeah, sadly having to let a few people go because of of decisions that were made outside of your your own sphere, you could say. Um, where has that left you now? Where where do you find yourself now? Well, a, a bit like yourself and and others, it, it helped me. Helped it forced me to sit down and think about what do you want to do? What do you like to do? When do you like to do these things? How do you like to do these things? It forced me to to plan and to think of another adventure that I want to go on. So we ultimately reduced the business down to just Wayne and I. And now I am a sole practitioner. I have a selection of clients that are in a variety of industries. I fundamentally... Uh, use 
Zero, MYB, and ServiceMate across my selection of, of businesses, as well as Tanda. And I feel that I have have the ability to work when I want to work on the terms that I want. And and I think that's also a bit of an age thing as well. And having had a business established for you know quite some time. Even though I will add, starting a new business is not as easy as I thought it was. That was a very, very big challenge. I thought yeah. it would be a lot easier than in fact it was. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, well, as the stats call out, uh, there's, I think, out of every five businesses that start, four don't make it past about the first six months because people come into a revelation that it's just not easy to just go out and start up a business. So, no. yeah, it's you've got to have resilience to, to see a small business through. And and um, and that's what I'm really pleased that we've been able to sort of examine with your journey is that you've, you've com- not compartmentalised it, but you've basically broken it down into seasons. And I think that's a really, really important thing for people to understand is that to go a long journey and... Um, Elizabeth, you're still very young, by the way, but uh, to go a journey, you uh, you need to accept that there will be these phases or these seasons that you'll go through and it's how you deal with that that will determine your longevity. And I think it's also about having some adventure and having some planning or some strategy. You know, you started today about 2024 and I think it's really important. If I wind the clock back a couple of years, I think it was actually in 2018 I finished 2018 thinking about what was I going to do in 19 and I decided that I wanted to have more than 75% of my businesses in the cloud by the end of 2019 and I managed to achieve that not knowing anything about COVID. So by the time COVID actually came around, I actually had 90% of my clients, 100% in the cloud and it's really more about the privilege if I go and see them face to face. Yeah, great example. Another great example of a season that came about that you didn't see 12 months earlier and then suddenly, bang, decision-making that had been made 12 months earlier impacted in a, a very, very specific way. And I think there's many right now going, yeah, well, we kind of wish we'd done something similar or they had uh, they did do something similar and, and benefited from that. So a couple of things to add on to that, Robbie. So ICB have some really great uh, webinars and workshops. And I think that's also about at the beginning of the year or in the mid-year, whichever way you like to do it, actually schedule and make a commitment to yourself about what learning you want to do in order to grow your business or perhaps solidify your knowledge so that you can roll that across your clients. That again is going back to that learning fundamental that I've always carried about sharing out with clients and with other bookkeepers. It's really important to make sure that you are at the top of the chain, not at the bottom of the chain. Yeah, yeah, no, that's again, great insights there, fantastic insights there. Tell me about two people, or no, actually, I won't say two people. Tell me about Aaron and tell me about Sophie. (laughs) Let's start with Sophie. Sophie is the best worker that anybody could possibly have in an office. She is our Cocker Spaniel that knows (laughs) all, has all of the confidential information that uh, we need. She knows all the processes. She's the perfect worker, always by your side. 
always responds to any of the, the lovely questions that you ask her. <laughs> and again, you know, we, we were lucky enough to have Aaron in our life that our small business has been a great way to share family lives. And being a, a working mum and a mum that's run a business, it's been a really good way of scheduling our life around Aaron as well. Mm, yes. Although uh, we'll just sort of maybe mention that I'm guessing Aaron does just slightly gazump Sophie in the pecking order or have I, have I got oh, that wrong? Oh, he gazumps yeah. in the pecking order because we're yeah. also talking about a 20-year-old <laughs> that's got, uh, you know, fitness as his first hobby. So that means food, fitness and food. So my job now is still still filling the fridge with a lot of food to feed that fitness. Yes. Yeah, we've got a 17-year-old who's fitness and food right now. So I know that story all too well as well. It's a part-time job. It is a part-time job. I'm sure my wife would say it's a full-time job. But uh, we're going to start to, to, to wind up, uh, sad as it always is to do that. Um, if you were to reflect on those seasons that we've talked about, those phases that you've been through in your work life and, and certainly creating to the point where you've got Lyme results now, would you do anything different? Would you, When you look back now, is there some regrets or some things that you now see that you would do differently? I'd do it all again. Yeah. Even the good and the bad, I'd do it all again. I think one of the, the things that I am grateful for is that I just happen to have a bit of a, a knack or a bit of an interest in software right from a very young age. So I think it is very much about do something that you like doing, do something that you're interested in doing, and you can modify it to make it the way you like it or that is you. Like I like the learning and the, the education side of it, not necessarily doing solid bookkeeping. You know, I, I do do that now in my fourth season, but not all the way along. And I, I think it's really important to look at what you enjoy and what you like doing. And as I said before, I think it's important about having you at the top of the list. You know, I love to cook. I used to do a lot of ballroom and Latin dancing. Uh, Pilates is my thing. I've done over 20 years of doing Pilates it's very important to go and do something for yourself and make sure that you turn off your work and you're just focusing on you so that you give something to you in your week. Again, I'm worried. No, I'm not worried. I'm guessing if my wife listens into this, she'll go, see, I told you, I told you. She's been mentioning Pilates for a while now. She thinks that could be a good date night for her and I to go and do something like Pilates together. So I think you've kind of, kind of, position me uh, in, into having to do that one in 2024 as something different? Uh, we'll see. I'm not so sure. You see, having had a business for more than 20 years with my husband, <laughs> potentially working from home. So, you know, we live where we work, we work where we live and we work together and we live together. I don't do everything with my husband. We have no, we have very few hobbies that we do together. So I disagree with that one, I have to say. Yeah, well, I think in your circumstances, you're probably right. My wife would probably tell you I'm, we're probably the opposite. We don't work together. She's a nurse <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a uh, bookkeeper and a buzz agent. And um, the only time we do get together is probably if we went and did something like Pilates or she definitely, definitely would love me to go and do Latin or ballroom dancing with her. I know she's mentioned that a few times. So, 
you've positioned that really well for me. Uh, thanks for that, Elizabeth. Um, but uh, the the other one <laughs> that I'm very keen to just quickly ask you about, uh, a little birdie tells me you recently joined a choir. Yes, well, that was 2023, like you are, you started the session with. I always wanted to join a choir and locally in Melbourne, I'm, I'm down in Mordialic, which is in the southeastern of, of um, Melbourne, there is a group called Pop Choir and they right. have four locations and we started the beginning of 23 with about, I think it was only about 600 members and by the end of uh, 23, they finished with over 800 members Whoa. over the four locations. Jeez. And we do things from uh, stand on a roundabout while a marathon is running past us and we sing for the people. Or we had a concert at the Palais, which is a really big uh, theatre in St Kilda. So we had 350 on the stage and over 1,100 uh, guests listening to us sing. Wow. So check out Pop Choir. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things about me doing something for me that I just focus on me like Pilates and like dancing. And I really encourage everybody for their well-being and their mental health, take something on board as a new little challenge that's just for you. So tell me, what were you singing on a roundabout as people rang past on a marathon? You know, we're... Oh, we sing Elton John, we sing... Uh, we creep. Uh, we've actually been singing that song, and it's got over fourteen million views on TikTok. Uh, we sing every pop song you can think of. Tina Turner, you know, all sorts of stuff. We sing. Um, Simply the best was one of them that we did uh, on the roundabout. Um, but we've also sung at the halftime break at basketball. Oh wow! Okay. Yes, so all sorts of different things. Pop choir, oh, check oh, it out. Oh. Oh, well, I was probably thinking, you know, maybe appropriate at the roundabout on a marathon would be, you know, I ran by a flock of seagulls or something like that, you know. That yeah. might... Oh, look, <laughs> but, it's, uh... Uh, it's, I have to say, when you leave, you're just smiling and you just feel happy. And I think that's a, a really good thing to have in your life when you do have a lot of stress and you've got a lot of business things that are going on and they're tricky things to think about every day in your working life. You need to have something to sort of release the wellness part of it. I think it's very, very important. Beautiful. And a great segue to finish off this episode. Um, if you've just only just tuned in somehow, you need to go back a bit and listen to the whole story because the story is is the emphasis of this episode with Elizabeth Haverfield. And you mentioned your love of cooking. So we're going to, we started with a curly question. We're going to oh, finish yes. with a curly question. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, your love of cooking. Um, what is your favourite thing to cook and why? Oh, well, look, I, I'm just going to say Italian. Right. Okay, yeah, you're in my hitting zone straight up there. So yeah. I won't say one dish or another. I love Italian and I'd probably say two favourite Italian um, people that I love their recipes. One is the greedy Italian and the other one is Nigella has some good Italian mm, recipes as well. Yes, so, she does. Yes, yeah. I'm Cooking's another great thing to turn off, you know, your busy day and focus on you and the family and sharing. So, uh, yeah, love good Italian food. So I'll go to my acumen of cooking to finish off with, and that's toast. Um, that's about <laughs> where I go. And I'll ask the last ultimate curly question. It is 
It is a world-shattering question. It changes civilizations over the journey. You're cooking your toast. Is it Promite or Vegemite on your toast? Oh, it um, has to be Vegemite. Absolutely, oh, Vegemite. Oh, I'm a seventh-generation Australian. It's got to be Vegemite. Oh, dear. Okay, well... I'll keep calling it out. I'm a pro white boy, but uh, let's uh, let's leave it on that. Elizabeth Haverfield, uh, I've really, really enjoyed this uh, catch up today. Um, so many things that you've experienced in your time that uh, I think probably at times all of us don't recognise as being uh, those seasons, those those phases that we go through. In a, in a career like you've had, and I sincerely hope that you have many more seasons to come, whatever they may look like. Um, I'd love for you to, to, to just wrap up uh, anything that we've missed or anything that you'd love to say as we wrap up this episode. I'd just like to tell all the listeners out there, life's an adventure. Beautiful. I have a feeling that Bill, Dad, might have influenced uh, a comment like that. So I uh, love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you for joining in today on our uh, episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper. It's been fabulous to have Elizabeth Haverfield joining us from Lime Results all the way from Melbourne in Victoria. We look forward to you joining us again on our next episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper. Please go in and Rate us, give us a review, and uh, that helps us with our uh, broadcast of this particular podcast. We look forward to you joining in again. Thanks again today, Elizabeth, for joining us. Happy 24, everyone. Happy 24, everyone. And as always, we love your heart. <laughs>